0: You guys know that music.
1: (sighs) Fresh back from New York City, where I enjoyed fish for New Year's. Happy 2019. I don't know why, but
0: this year is gonna be special. I cannot wait, so excited. Coming off my, my trip to see fish in church, I am fresh as a daisy, and I am very excited about our guest today. Today, we have a gentleman who is from that cycle in Washington, baby.
1: From that political stream in Washington. Does that make you feel happy or sad, Bob? Uh, The insights of the political Washington? Um, Yeah, I'm going to take the fifth.
0: That's good. I think Kevin's going to change your mind, brother. Okay, we'll see. He's a good old friend of mine. I won't. I won't get into too much. But Bob, how was your New Year's? It was good. I
1: actually went out. Oh, you did? Where'd you guys go? I oh, just over a friend of mine, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, we had a little champagne at uh, the drop of the ball, and then went back home at twelve ten to go to bed. Whew. I got to bed
0: about five a.m. I think that day. Uh,
1: you youngins, I swear.
0: Yes, but. When you come out of a fish show, you're high energy, and then there's bars all around New York City till 4 a.m., you're, and then you got people who love to chat and hang out. Like it yeah, was, it was you're a good bouncing night. Bouncing
1: around the room. Bounce around the room. Yeah.
0: All right, folks, here we are just after the new year, and I have one of my most exciting guests on with us today, Kevin Madden, who is known as an American pundit. I love that word pundit. Uh, but back in the day, I knew. Kevin Madden when we used to live in West Hall together at SUNY Morrisville back in 1990 to 92. Uh, Kevin was a part of uh, a very good football team we had there intramurals. He was also an athlete lacrosse player if I'm not mistaken and Kevin who. Uh, is a public relations professional in newspapers and magazines. We were both in journalism together at Morrisville. Uh, He appears regularly on television news and talk shows, largely on cable news programming in the United States. He was a senior advisor to and spokesman for Mitt Romney's 2002 U.S. presidential campaign. This is on Wikipedia. Uh, He is married. He is handsome as heck. His wife's name is Jacqueline. I can't wait to learn about her. (laughs) And he went to Morrisville and Cortland. That's his laugh, by the way. He went to Morrisville and Cortland. And the one thing I love to say about Kevin is, Kevin was that, always that guy that would sit in the corner and just watch everything going on, all the nonsense. He was always the most relaxed guy. He never drank much, didn't smoke. He was that clean-cut guy. And then he goes to Cortland and he becomes this huge, excuse me, huge political uh, pundit, which goes to prove that actually some Cortland graduates can make it. So here we are, wow. Kevin Madden.
2: Wow, looking like a true Oswego guy, afterwards.
0: <laughs> yes, that is correct.
2: I find it interesting, Brian. I find it interesting, Brian, that you like the word pundit because all of us pundits hate the word pundit.
1: hmm It's a, it's a fun sounding word, pundit. Yeah, let's pundit.
2: <laughs> you guys don't it's like it because we all make jokes for about those it. of us yeah we we're we're commentators or analysts uh that's the the, the fun word that we uh, the more descriptive uh word that we uh we
0: very official so I like to go to origins with Kevin here so Kevin was an athlete at morsel we were both at West hall we were both athletic we we definitely had uh because we were in a journalism program together we we got to know each other quickly we had two or three really close mutual friends that we hung out with a lot. Uh, he also had an apartment on Campus Hill the second year, uh, which we had some ex- interesting experiences up there. Uh, but I always loved hanging out with Kevin because he was the most even killed guy. He was not that guy around Morrisville that was heavy into drugs or, or partying. He was that guy that really, uh, I always knew he had political aspirations or that he at some point would stand, be standing up for people. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your path, Kevin, and how you got from Cortland to be such a bigwig in Washington.
2: Marshall was a little bit of a, of a culture shock for me because my first day at Marshville was the first time that I uh, had uh, gone to school or uh, been in a classroom probably in 12 years where I wasn't wearing a suit and tie because I went to Sacred Heart Grammar School where you, we literally had like a jacket and tie when I was in like, you know, third grade. Uh, and um we were taught there by the Capuchin Friars and the Dominican Order of Nuns. And then I went to Iona Preparatory in Rochelle, um, Shell, uh, and that was a Christian brother school, and it was all boys. So, um, you know, my first day sitting in that classroom, that, that first morning in Charlton Hall, uh, whatever it was, like News Writing 101, right? Um, that was my that was my first time not, not not sitting in a classroom with a tie in 12 years so that's a little bit of culture shock um but then the fact that you know I'd gone to an all boys school for four years i think that was uh, that was a little different you know I never even had to worry about um, uh, you know trying to uh, impress anybody from the opposite sex when I was at at, uh, in high school. Uh, and now, uh, I'm at a co-ed school, so it was a little bit different, but yeah, I definitely remember, I definitely remember meeting you and uh, our other really good, um, uh, friend, Jeff Bona for the first time. Um, because you guys were the guys in that, in that classroom that kind of reminded me of the guys from home. And I, I sort of knew the second we met that we were going to be good friends. Um, you know, you definitely look like a guy that like, here's a guy you can have a beer with, have a laugh with, probably watch a game with and also do that. I knew, um, since I was, you know, I'd always been busy playing sports and that was always a good way to meet people. Um, uh, that I knew that, uh, that, you know, that you'd be good for like a game of pickup basketball. And I remember we did, we played a lot when we were at Marshall, uh, when we first got there because, and especially football, because that was a great way to meet everybody in that dorm. Cause that dorm was just a real, was full of a bunch of guys who were into sports and, you know, from all different parts of the state.
0: The dorm was West Hall. We had a a little impromptu intramural football. And Morrisville is a two-year school, a very good journalism program for those of you who haven't heard this before. And what we did was we were mostly freshmen in West Hall, but we had this kid, David Jones, who had an awesome arm. He was from the city, I believe, maybe Brooklyn or Bronx. He's a black kid, awesome, just salt to the earth. He had this green Jeep, Wrangler Jeep back in the day. I loved it. He was our quarterback. And we whooped up these the second year lacrosse players and wrestlers from Campus Hill in a game that was a heated game. I don't know if you remember that one, Kevin. You remember our red jerseys and everything?
2: I do remember those, and um, I actually remember his. I forgot his name there for a while, but I remember his Jeep too. He had like one of those old Islander Jeeps, right? Yep. It was um, uh, it was always parked outside. Um, I had a Jeep too, and I remember like we, whenever we would take the tops off during like those, the four nice days of weather that we had uh, in Marshville, New York. Um, but the thing that I remember most about the football team was we destroyed that one giant piece of turf uh, that was just adjacent to the pond outside of West Hall. Like it was ruined for years. Like the whole entire time we were there, that area back there had no grass (laughs) because we destroyed it every single time we played football out there. Um, And then the other time was, remember, we had like a rainstorm. We had like like, a mud bowl and, and like, the RAs in the building went berserk because everybody tracked like, oh, I mean, it was, gosh. it was like Woodstock level mud through the entire dorm to the point where it took them days to clean it. And it was actually one of the funnier sort of fond memories I have of, uh, of, of the, of those years.
0: That was just a really cool day. That's just one of those games. You're trying to get muddy. You're just pushing people. That was really fun. So we had a pond right outside West hall and and he's right. We had a strip of land where we played, Oh, lacrosse, football, you name it. We had a bunch of athletes in our dorm. We all liked it. we all liked to, uh, we all were, and this kind of goes to my whole thing with cannabis and exercise. Back then, there was, it was a heavy lacrosse players from Long Island, if I'm not mistaken, in that dorm. Uh, but we had other athletes, but we just loved every day to play something. Like it was back at like we were kids. Yeah, right? and
2: you know, the other thing that was, the, the, the great thing about that dorm was everybody sort of kind of identified each other by what floor they lived on. Like, you know, it's like, oh, that's um, that's uh, oh, that's Brian Lane. He's he's third floor west. And then, or well, you guys were second floor, right? Yep, were you, we were second, second floor? floor.
0: Yeah, don't mix it because I want to remind second everybody floor. that first and second floor beat third and fourth floor regularly in basketball games. For the record, everybody.
2: That's right. And I was on the, I was on the fourth floor uh, of West Hall and we were really good friends with the girls were, 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 were uh, great on like third floor West Hall. Mm -hmm. And the thing about fourth floor was there was no, there was no fourth floor girls. It was only a guy's side on the, on the, on the the West Hall. So there was no, um, there was no sort of um, women's wing to that, to, to our floor. Um, uh, But the other thing too, is that everybody around that entire campus where I was like, man, you know, you you West Hall people, you all think you own this place. Like we were very very, um, uh, we were a very tight unit for an a dorm. Like usually you only have like a couple of people that you know in your dorm. Like everybody in that dorm knew each other. Uh, and like I remember even a couple times where we would go across to Stewart Hall for for dinner. We would go as like an entire dorm. Like you'd see thirty or forty people just walking together all over at like five o'clock, sitting in these big long rows of. of Chairs together, laughing, having dinner, telling stories, cracking each other up. It was a it was a great it was a great experience. It was a great memory.
0: It was very unique because we had you and I were the like journalism people in that class in that building, but then every other you know type of education was in there. So you know we had potential teachers, we had liberal arts students. Um, so it was nice because Kevin and I could always relate with the journalism side of it. Uh, and I also wrote for the school newspaper. And what did you do TV when you were there? Radio? What was it that you did? Because we all had like a
2: I did. Uh, they didn't have TV then. I did radio. Yeah, I did WCVM, um, and I actually um, it was a good. I had a, I had a good time. So I think when I was went there, my my goal was to was to take the journalism thing all the way and to, and to go into broadcast journalism after I left there. And so I wanted to do more radio than than print. Um, but I think it was. It was like I don't have many many regrets, but that was the one of them that I didn't work with you guys on the on the newspaper because you were all again another really closely knit unit, and you got to work uh, more closely with um, with Neil Banlow and Jerry Leone, uh, and I think uh, as a result, like those you guys had better relationships with those, with those guys, even though I had a great relationship with them as a result of working on the newspaper, whereas like the radio we basically, Pam Goldstein ran the radio and we kind of ran it ourselves. Like we didn't really do a whole lot of work with her. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't truly broadcast radio. You had to almost kind of get it through a hookup to your cable system. So it wasn't as widely known or widely listened to the way that sort of college radio stations are nowadays.
0: And he's talking about uh, 90 to 92 right now, just to recap, but yeah, you're right. And The nice part of the newspaper was basically when you went to Morrisville, you got split into public relations, radio, uh, photography, or journalism, uh, print journalism. So basically, there was like 30, 25 people on the newspaper for two years. And you're on it for two years. The first year, you kind of help. And the second year, you take a leadership position. Uh, And it really, I had stories in there all two years. They let us write immediately and got our stuff in print, which to me, I thought was great. Uh, And it really helped us, I think propel our careers to where we went. I ended up being a a print journalist for 13 years. And Kevin, now tell a little bit about what you did, where you took this from.
2: Well, yeah, you're right, though, too, about the newspaper. I mean, there's something that's just intoxicating for a young student like that to see your byline and see your name in print uh, and also the, the the teacher there, you know, they took such pride in it and they worked so closely closely with the students. The other thing, too, is that you remember, Brian, was the photography class. To this day, I still use some of the lessons that I learned from how to how to shoot like cameras uh, and how to shoot sort of rack of focus type pictures. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, we, we lose, we kind of lost that as an art now because we all have these, you know, these little perfect cameras on our phones. Um, but back then it was a it was a really great class uh, to take. Um, so what I'm doing today, uh, I right now I I run uh, with um, uh, several other partners a public affairs firm that called Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington D.C. where we essentially are strategic communications and strategic advisory for. Um, Fortune 500 companies, uh, business associations, trade associations, foundations, nonprofits, anybody with a public policy profile who uh, has to advocate on a regular basis um, their position in the marketplace and also in the marketplace of ideas and issues uh, here in Washington, D.C. with Congress and uh, the administration and the regulatory regimes that are here. Um, and, you know, the, the journalism background, um, I used it quite a bit uh, in my previous career before I started this firm, which was uh, working in communications and, and, and um, uh, in political communications and on political campaigns, where I just had knowledge of the news cycle and the knowledge of audiences and an understanding of um, news organizations and how they work. Um, really did help serve uh, the campaigns uh, and the candidates and the elected officials that I worked with for many years.
0: So you left Cortland at that point, where you just go to Washington and you started to string, or where did you go when you left Cortland?
2: <laughs> uh, One of the best things I did when I left Cortland was I worked all summer long. You know, I did every single odd job you could imagine. And bartended a little, worked at a country club doing every single job they had there, um, worked in home repairs, saved up my money, and I went cross-country with uh, my best friend, John uh, Spencer, uh, who you met because he probably came to visit us a couple of times. And, um, and um, we went cross-country. and We got to see the entire United States. We camped out. We went to different places that we'd always wanted to go together. Probably spent about two months doing that. So we probably did most of end of from the end of august all the way through to october uh and um and then when i came back uh, um, believe it or not um i had a uh an offer to come work for john's dad um w- who was getting ready to run for mayor and so my first job was in um was in yonker city hall uh working for the city Council. Uh, and my job was to basically coordinate the communications. I ran the the, the city TV station, which was a public access station. Uh, I wrote press releases. I set up press conferences um, for um, for the city council members. We also used to um, uh, we used to have. Um, I used to do a lot of community outreach. So if we had town halls or city hall um, events, uh, I used to help run those with members of the city council. Uh, and then when John's dad ran for mayor and won, I became his press secretary and spokesperson in, um, uh, in, um, in the, uh, in city hall. And that was where I really got exposed to political communications and campaigns and, um, also in the New York media market. So, uh, you know, Yonkers, Yonkers is just North of Manhattan, a city of about 200,000 people. Uh, and, and, um, it's in the shadow of, you know, you know, all the NBC, CBS, ABC, um, affiliates at, at, out of New York City, as well as you know, bureaus that were then covering Westchester, New York, like the New York Times and the and the Westchester um, uh, Journal News and and the New York Post and Daily News. So that really exposed me to um, the really big um, newspapers and big media outlets.
0: Wow, how was it serving? in the Yonkers city hall in the town where you grew up, like I'm trying to imagine that here in Rochester, that all of a sudden I would come back to Rochester as like a 23, <laughs> 24 year old green kid being thrown into like the biggest public position in the town where you grew up. That had to be an interesting dynamic.
2: It was, and it was an extremely, it was an extremely divisive time. I mean, Yonkers was coming out of this. Um, if you ever seen the, 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 the HBO miniseries, um, show me a hero. Um, which was about yonkers and its struggle through um a uh, a really dark period of desegregation and how um or a dark period of segregation and then how um the city dealt with desegregating both its schools and its housing uh, um i was working there in the aftermath of all of that so we had a federal housing monitor a federal school monitor we had um uh, the spotlight of, uh, of the um, of the, a nation was often turned ter- turned on Yonkers to deal with a lot of these different issues that. Um, that many cities deal with, and, and it sort of served as a microcosm for some of the changes taking place in cities across the country, whether it was housing or busing or schools and um, some of the racism that had taken place for many years and how to deal with it, economic development, um, all of those type of things. So it really was like getting a master's degree in politics and policy. And also, at the city level, um, you see the impact every single day. So when I went to a town hall, you know, we didn't have big, you know, uh, lofty debates about um, health care policy or housing policy in the abstract. Instead, you had people pointing a finger in some city councilman's face or a mayor's face saying, my, this is what's happening in my house. This was happening to my kids who are in yours and these city schools or here's what my, you know, economic situation is and. And everything from paving roads to picking up garbage to, uh, you know, um, to, to, you know, snow removal, it was an incredible learning experience and getting to really see where the rubber meets the road of policy and its impact on people's lives. Uh, And I'll tell you, as far as like negative campaigning or tough campaigning, uh, I worked on three presidential campaigns, and I will tell you that most. Difficult, negative, nasty, rough and tumble campaigns I ever saw, were in city council races (laughs) in Yonkers, where you would see people getting fistfights at, uh, you know, polling stations, uh, or you know, people arguing at um, ward meetings, uh, Republican city ward meetings. That was uh, quite a uh, learning experience for a young 23-year-old coming out of college.
0: How did you handle... All right, so I'm going to backtrack to Morrisville. I, w- I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this story up or not, but now I'm, I'm going to. Do you remember the racial issue we had at Morrisville our second year? Do you remember the little man uh, that we had in front of the, the pizza number. place? So it yeah, stemmed remember, from your apartment, remember, do you remember? Yeah,
2: like, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of tension, yeah. yeah. So
0: what happened was I remember the story. Cause I, cause I, so I wrote an article about it, and who was your roommate, the black gentleman that you were roommates with in Campus Hill? What was Will. his name? Will. That's right. Will. Yeah,
2: Will. Will Belton. Uh, yeah, Will Belton. Who I still stay in touch with.
0: Great. So tell um, him again. And, I apologize. Uh, he calls
2: me every uh, St. Patrick's Day.
0: <laughs> so Will was mad at me because I wrote a story on a recap of a racial incident we had at Morrisville when Kevin and I was there. So what happened was there was Jello shots made up at Campus Hill Apartments. This was actually the root of the story. And it happened to be in Kevin and Will's apartment where the, the incident started. It was very minor. It was There was some wrestlers there, some basketball players. We all hung out together in the little six-pack of apartments where Kevin was and Will uh, where a couple of our good friends from West Hall as well as a couple of the best basketball players at a, of the campus and a couple of good wrestlers. So for some reason... The, uh, Morrisville's a small town. You go in, it's one second, and you're back out. Um, it's on Route 20 in central New York, and there's really not a lot to do. It's just maybe five or six there's house two, parties. There two stoplights. Yep, and five or six parties that you party in, either apartments or houses, that was all we had. You couldn't go to bars because we're all under 21. So, yeah. if something like this comes up, it ends up perpetuating very quickly in small environments like this. So Basically, I think it was like three or four days later this incident happened where uh one of the basketball players stole a shot out of the and and the wrestlers took exception to it without paying for it and like "Ah, nonsense it ended up being three straight troopers and a group of about 150 people in front of new york pizza in the middle of morrisville almost shutting down route 20 one night do you remember that kev were you there for that
2: I don't, I don't remember the specifics of that. I do remember like events kind of broadly like that, but you know, I will say that the thing, the thing I actually, uh, you know, college opened my eyes to a lot of different experiences and that, um, you know, having all these different folks from different parts of the, the, the different parts of the state, you know, or all from all different corners of New York state, all types of different backgrounds, all types of different races. Um, Different, you know, varying economic backgrounds. Though so I'd say for the most part, 85% of everybody there was, you know, kind of working class. Um,
0: yeah, I would agree with that. But
2: it was, um, I will tell you that I, yeah, I would say that I, you know, I have friends there that one of the great things that I loved about the group of friends that I made there, for life, lifelong friends, were that some of them had backgrounds, like, you know, Will was an African American guy from Niagara Falls. Here I am, this, um, you know, this, uh, this white guy from Yonkers, New York, we're literally like, uh, never would have met each other. Had we not roomed together in college. And then, you know, you take, you know, my friend, uh, my friend Skippy, that was from Saratoga Springs. And you take, um, my other friend, Mike Paris, who was a, um, Puerto Rican descent from um, Brooklyn and we put us all together and we were all great friends. Uh, and we didn't look at each other like that. And we went to parties together. And I think some people kind of scratch their head. Like, you know, that's like, that's a motley looking crew. Like, you know, a white guy, two white guys, a Puerto Rican guy, and an African American guy, uh, all, uh, uh, you know, dressed differently, you know, uh, obviously different like types of personalities, but they're all hanging out together at some party, <laughs> you know, um, uh, Everybody enjoyed each other's company, and everybody kind of found great humor in what was different about, you know, um, about my other friends. Like Will, Will thought it was funny that you guys were you and like Jeff, how you and Jeff Bono were like good friends, and then you would come looking for me, and you know we'd listen to music, and he'd make fun of our music, right? And or he'd make fun of whatever we were watching on TV, or he would argue with us about what team we like, right? We're sitting there rooting for the Celtics, and he's rooting for the Lakers, or whatever it was, you know? And, like, it was all good-natured fun, and we all got, we all had um, a great time learning from each other, and um, just enjoying each other's company, and I think, for the most part, like, yeah, there were a lot of fights, there always were, in these places where there's too much drinking going on, and you have too many people all in one room, but for the most part, everybody really got along and enjoyed... Each other's company, and I think all have fond memories as a result of that.
0: You know, I agree. And just to finish that that Morrisville story, no fists were thrown. I ended up uh, the troopers came quick enough that nothing crazy was happened. But I really, I was, I, I played ball like Kevin said. I played ball with all the basketball players on campus. I played ball pretty much six days a week. I always played hoops, so I knew everybody on the campus who played hoops because I played. The wrestlers and lacrosse players, I lived with them, so I knew them. So uh, me and two other guys, that were able to keep it, so no ridiculousness kind of went on. Uh, And it actually made, I think, the campus tighter for the rest of that year. We had a very good spring, and there was no tensions at all in the spring. So that's just to close that story out that I I believe that really all of our personalities on that campus really made it. It it could have been a lot uglier than it was. I guess is my point.
2: There's a reason why 25 years later, we're all still in touch and friendly with each other, right? I mean, it was a, those, were, those were great memories, and, and um, we made lifelong friends out of it.
0: So now let's take us back to Yonkers, and you're dealing with being press secretary at a low level. Was there a big moment where you hit that national stage or got to that, or was it a slow roll? Um, tell me a little bit about what, how, you, how you got up to the national level.
2: No, there was no big, um, no big moment or anything like that in Yonkers. I actually felt um, one of the things that I, one of the things I learned about Yonkers was very quickly was it was a patronage mill. Like a lot of these, you know, look, I, I was there because my best friend's dad wanted me, want uh, you know, hired me and wanted me on his campaign. But there was a lot of people that this was it. Like they were, they were going to get like a job somewhere in the city or somewhere in the county as part of their work in politics, and that was where they were going to stay. And for me, I couldn't wait to just learn a thing or two and then leave. Uh, and, um, you know, my, my best friend there, John Spencer, he he had come down to Washington DC to do a semester at George Washington university. Uh, and he didn't like it. And when he came back, he said, he goes, he goes, I didn't like it. It was not for me, but the whole time I was there, I was thinking how you would love it. And, you know, you should, you should take a look into the school and, uh, and check it out down there. And so I picked up and came down. I had some, um, friends that I went to high school with that had gone to Georgetown university and were here. And my brother, uh, went to college with a couple of guys that I knew that were living in Washington. So I came down and visited them at the same time, trying to check out this program over at George Washington university, uh, master's program. And as soon as I came down, I said, this is what I want to do. Uh, I want to go and work in Washington and really test myself in what the essentially was the Hollywood politics and policy. Um, so I just picked up my car and came down here. I didn't have a job. I had knew a couple of people and, um, I stayed with them and sort of hoofed around while applying to grad school. I ended up not going to grad school because it was just, uh, it, I had a couple of folks that I worked with who said, look, you, you've worked on campaigns, you've worked in politics. Like the best way to learn about it is to is not to get a degree in it, but to go and work on Capitol Hill and work on campaigns. So I came down here and that's exactly what I did. I ended up getting a job up on Capitol Hill working as a press secretary for a, a member of Congress uh, from upstate New York. And um, and then went from his office to go work uh, on, that was where I got my I, I, my opportunity to work with the White House. And then when President George W. Bush was getting his re-election team together, I went in over and interviewed there for a, a spokesman job and got that, and ended up working on, on um, 2004 re which was an amazing, amazing experience. Experience. That was where I sort of had a lot of my holy smokes moments, right? You know, where I was, just, remember seeing my, my name in print for the first time where it was spokesman for, um, you know, the president said, Kevin Madden said, X, Y, Z. That was one of those like, whoa, <laughs> you know, we're not in Yonkers anymore, Dorothy, you know,
0: tell me about the White House.
2: Well, I I didn't work in the White House. I worked over, we had a, we worked over at a a campaign headquarters just across the river, uh, just across the Potomac in Arlington. Uh, And it was great. You know, I, I essentially my my title was like Deputy Press Secretary, Regional uh, Communications Director. Uh, And um, I had a 17 state region stretching from uh, Indiana and Ohio, all the way south to Kentucky, all the way up to Maine, um, and one of my jobs was to, uh, just coordinate and, and, um, and help execute the campaign communications, um, strategy in all of those states. It was a fantastic job, but I will tell you it was 18 hour days uh, on a, on a slow day, um, but um, learned a tremendous amount. You know, I, I got, That was where I got exposed to the punditry world because um, there was a need to have spokesmen. At that time, cable news was starting to move to 24-7 politics, so there was a need to have spokespeople out on um, you know, CNN and Fox and MSNBC advocating on behalf of the president. And when I did that well, the campaign kind of promoted me up, and, and I ended up doing a lot of that. And as a result, I ended up really building a strong, um, rapport with a lot of national reporters and, um, built a bit of a, you know, a, a, a campaign operative brand for myself as a result of people seeing me, um, out there serving as the president's spokesman on TV.
0: What was the key for your success? Was it that you were patient and a good listener or you researched? So you were smart in front of the microphone. What do you think set you apart?
2: Well, I think the first thing was preparation, um, like putting a great uh, deal of work into knowing the policy, knowing the campaign uh, um, strategy, understanding um, what the, the president's priorities were, how to articulate them, how to um, how to tailor all of those um, all of those different understandings of of the politics and the policy of a region to a particular state or media market. So whereas I you know, was working out there and it's like, look, here, here's what, here's how the, uh, President Bush's plan for association health plans is going to have a positive impact on the people here in Columbus, Ohio. Or here's why the president believes um, on issues like national security, the people in um, you know, Pittsburgh will be safer as a result of him uh, advocating for um, these policies. All of that I think was, you know, that level of preparation that I put in, where I could cite, you know, uh, chapter and verse from different policies for particular, different particular states, was really important. The second part of it, I think, and this is, this applies to any any campaign and many other jobs in particular, is not caring about what your title was or ever thinking that any job was too big or too small for you. Um, so embracing the grunt work that I had to do. Uh, as well as embracing opportunities to go on national television um, with 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 an equal level of enthusiasm, with the same level of enthusiasm for each job, what that does is it sets you apart internally. The team recognizes that you don't see yourself as above anybody. You are doing everything you can to help contribute to the team, the campaign organization, And as a result, um, that's always rewarded, I think, on on a campaign. And I think it made me better at my job and helped me serve the president better.
0: So you went in with no hidden agendas, just being uh, someone to pay attention and turn the information over. So what did I, when, and I've seen you many times on TV, I'm very proud of you sitting in a room with you for two years constantly. I'm so proud of where you are, but I'm more proud of the fact of how you hold yourself. And I've never seen you flustered or be asked a question that you didn't answer in, in a way, um, that looked like you were trying to attack back. And I think that's a rare thing there. Can you tell me if that's something you actually think about or is it natural?
2: it's absolutely front and center of how i i try to conduct myself because as a spokesman first of all this isn't about me like when you see kevin madden on there it's not about me I, I and i rarely i rarely say i think um particularly when i was working for a candidate i would say here's what president bush believes here's what governor romley wants people to understand it was never about me um Uh, in my opinion, instead, it was about a set of principles, ideas, um, beliefs that the people that I worked for um, cared strongly, strongly about. And I wanted to, I wanted to pass that along to people. The other thing too, was I always kept in mind the audience as being somebody who has yet to be persuaded. So I wasn't there to humiliate, like if I was going up against a Democrat or um, I was disagreeing with a Democrat, I wasn't trying to humiliate them. I wasn't trying to say, they look at this person. They're 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 evil or they're bad. My point was always to make the person who had yet You have to make up their mind or choose uh, the candidate. I wanted to change their mind. I wanted to kind of convert them. I wanted them to see my point of view, and I wanted them to think I was right and that the other person was wrong or misguided, not that they were bad. <laughs> and so that was a very conscious effort. And to tell you the truth, that was instilled in me by one of my bosses on the campaign, Nicole um, Nicole Wallace. She said, just remember that we're out there to change people's minds uh, and to um, make them see the wisdom in our views rather than try and, like, um, scream and yell uh, and be disagreeable. So it was a very conscious. It's always It was always a conscious part of how I had conducted myself.
0: I love that you take that approach I, I think it's always refreshing to see you on other analysts that will turn off right away you i will leave on till every second is done
1: did you ever have a moment where uh you had to defend yourself were or, or become oppositional to someone when they ask you a question in regards to
2: yeah yeah we're yeah, where you feel like I, I think the one thing I always tried to do was was rather was very calmly talk tell, tell them why I disagreed with the premise of the question or why I thought they were either launching an ad hominem attack that wasn't worthy of a discussion or that they were personalizing something that wasn't really that um, wasn't that we didn't have to be personally disagreeable if we had a difference of opinion. The one thing I always tried to walk viewers through is the justification for why I. have come up with a particular point. So, for example, you know, if we're talking about something like trade, you know, like I'll talk to them about why I believe in pro-trade policies and the impact that they have on local economies, the impact that they have on um, certain sectors of industry, uh, and also how it's, you know, more reflective of just American principles of engaging nations uh, economically as well as diplomatically. So I always try to justify the reason why I come up with that. rather than just say, well, that's my point. If you don't like it, screw you, right? Like, who, who does that really help? I think if people can see there's an evidentiary trail to how I arrived at a decision and a viewpoint, they're more likely to adopt it and understand it and believe it and see me as a credible spokesperson as a result.
0: As a voter, I appreciate you for that. Because I, I, most people, I've said this before, I don't know if you know this, Kevin, I have been an independent voter since the age of 18. I've never been a registered Democrat or Republican. I took pride in that as a journalist. I felt like I had to stay neutral from the two parties. Are, are you an affiliate with any of the parties?
2: Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm a Republican and, uh, I don't know what that means nowadays. I think I struggle with it more now than I did when I was younger, where I think my, my, I was the same way as you. I saw myself as an independent and I wanted to, um, I wanted to, uh, Always view things from a neutral ground, as uh, when I was being trained as a journalist. And um, but what happened was, as I went through a lot of the public policy debates, and I worked in city hall, I, I did feel like I, I had a, I had a stake in it. And I felt like there, there were views that I that I wanted to articulate that were more in line with, you know, limited government, um, governing, governing um, closer to the people, so that you know where states and localities have more control over. Uh, over um, decision making and policy making, I thought that was always better. Um, so I did. I began to adopt more of these um, uh, these policies, and I took a side as a camp- as a as a campaign operative, and I began to think that I was more about waging um, um, waging my um, uh, my testing my thoughts against others in a war of ideas versus being a neutral arbiter of those. I feel like now, um, that we, you know, our politics and political alignments are changing in in America that I find myself sort of struggling with, uh, with the political identification. Like there's, there's definitely, I think a a big, um, uh, section. uh, There are a lot of Republicans that are sort of going through a little bit of a, of a, of an ideological midlife crisis. (laughs) like trying to define what is really a Republican. And we see that playing out every single day here in Washington, as well as around the country. um, and, um, but yeah, I've, I've always, uh, thought, and I think the city hall, it, um, experience for me was one where, you know, feeling like, uh, having local control and, and, and empowering localities and states to make better decisions where, uh, and closer to home was why I became a Republican and begin with.
0: So obviously this podcast, the themes are exercise and cannabis, we, we like to talk about both. I like to say that I've been on the right side of the cannabis a long, long time. Kevin always probably looked at me as that stoner in college, whatever. Uh, but it always definitely contributed to my writing. It's helped my creativity. I've talked about past episodes. So I'm very curious. Washington has an interesting take on the cannabis plant. And I'm curious of, uh, uh, just a little background, New York State, it looks like they're going to go legal in the next 12 months. Massachusetts just went legal. We're, we're starting to trip across the country. So from your perspective from Washington, Kevin, please tell me the tone of the cannabis. Where do you think it might go? What's your opinion on it? Tell me a little bit about the cannabis plant in Washington specifically.
2: Yeah, well, I, I tell you, I know next to nothing about it, and I, I didn't think of you as l- like that, Brian. I always <laughs> thought of you as a really good athlete. The thing is, I think when you're in college, when you're in college, you're around so many different sort of substances and everything. You just hear, it's more, definitely more so than when I was in high school, that's for sure. Um, that I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I pinpointed any one person, really. Uh, although I guess there were a couple of guys that you and I knew that were, did more, more than, than their fair share, I guess. Um, but, the The thing that um i I'd say that's interesting about this is if you look at it washington and and like uh, just say like politics as an industry overall is always a lagging uh sort of adoptive uh, entity um and and I think that's for a lot of the sort of debates that we have that have been flashpoints legalization of marijuana gay marriage um, there's a lot of different issues where politics was the last adopter of of change and whereas like the business world um technology um even you know um like philanthropy like those worlds were much more innovative and um liberal with a small l at uh, accepting change and I think that's where cannabis uh, and like legalization of marijuana comes in. It's that I think more and more of the public has already sort of adopted it and sort of is, has a more open view on it. Whereas the politicians and, and the regulatory regimes in Washington and lawmakers were out of oftentimes out of fear and lack of understanding were the last to sort of change their minds on it or evolve on it. Um, and um, I think a lot of that was because like, the Republican view, which is that states and localities, started experimenting with the you know, legalization of it and regulation of it. And um, it's become a little bit more of a laboratory of how other states and the case studies for how other states can then take a look at the issue. So uh, in my mind, I think it's, gonna, it's going to continue to change and you're going to see more and more people find uh, acceptance for it.
0: Did, have you worked with anybody who has experience with that? Politicians, anything else in, in Washington? So, if there's people that would like to, you know, send letters or uh, reach out to a politician that's kind of in favor of it, where would they go?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, look. First of all, let me let me let me uh, point out why I think things have changed. I think folks that have been pro legalization or pro cannabis. They did the reason that they 've been successful is first of all, they started at the local level it 's what I always call in in our industry localization and personalization of the debate oftentimes in Washington, you have these debates at a much more abstract level, and there are special interests in this town that are either pro or against that are very heavily funded, so oftentimes it 's a bunch of people shouting at each other and not really changing it but ultimately, lawmakers in washington they care most about what people back in their district are saying and whether or not their allies in a particular state are have changed their minds as, as well. So what pro-Canada folks did really well was they localized and personalized the bait. First in Washington State, then in Colorado, then in I don't know where else. Is it? It's like you, know, you you probably California, know than 90s, yeah, California, Maine, yeah. I think right. Um, yep. California, some areas California. Medicinal uses in in in, in other states. And they sort of more they normalized the debate, and they were had more of a rational debate at that level because it was taken out of the sort of professional debate racket here in Washington. And, and that was where people made their change. But as, and to your question of people that I know that, that have worked in this industry, my old boss, uh, John Boehner, uh, when I worked up on Capitol Hill for then-majority leader John Boehner, who ultimately became Speaker of the House, he has just signed up and is now part of a – a Pro cannabis investment group, uh, and, um, you know, has, has, I think his has changed and has evolved over time as well. And I think because he's seen what has happened at the local level and, and is more, um, has been more involved on it. I also had a really, I had a friend, uh, Taylor West, um, who is used to, who moved out of Washington, out to Colorado to work for, you know, pro cannabis, um, advocacy group, um, and I think, you know, she took a lot of the experiences that she had in, in Washington and took them outside of the, the Beltway bubble and sort of applied a lot of the political lessons to advocacy around the country. And as a result, you know, from I haven't talked to her in a long time, but she was, A, one of the better operatives that I've ever met in Washington, and um, B, she was smart enough to kind of get out of here and move the debate beyond Washington to to uh, capitals and localities around the country.
0: So basically, the states are forcing the federal government's hand, kind of, right? By doing it that way,
2: yeah, because it's they've got state by state, and, and you know what people know is that you know uh, I'll, I'll, what you know what people have realized is that like what's good for. Um, Texas may not be good for Maine, but let the people in Texas and Maine kind of decide those things. Um, particularly on an issue like this, where it has to do with regul- regulation of a of a um, of a. I guess you. What, what would you call it, Brian? Uh, an agricultural product or a? That's a great. That's uh, a great. That's the product. debate. Yeah, that's um, the
0: great debate right now. It's both. Uh, I, I think yeah, it's both.
2: And, but, and there are folks. Right. I mean, you think about it, there are folks who are leaving the tobacco industry in places like Kentucky and North Carolina and moving into the hemp industry. Um, Why? Because there's a local economic impact. Uh, There is local control. There are local opinions. And um, folks in Washington, where they see people have an impact back home and are making a difference and have steadfast opinions, they're more likely to be uh, prone to evolve on the issue uh, or take notice where need be. Because of that, um, that localized, personalized impact uh, in a in a local economy or a uh, a particular jurisdiction of, of interest.
0: In this industry, there's common talk about the pharmaceutical companies and how they are really working against this. and And the pharmaceutical companies are worried because they will all fail when the cannabis plant comes out. CBD, THC, all the research. Do you see that in Washington or or? Is this consp- a conspiracy that should be squashed or is this something you see?
2: <laughs> no like i don't I don't know um, I haven't seen it I don't I probably don't work close enough with that. I have worked with um, pharmaceutical companies and, and work with uh, in the healthcare industry um, a, a great deal um, but nothing on that particular issue but I think it's um it's uh, it's one of those it's one of those issues where um, there'll always be competing sides and competing opinions on it. Right. Um, so there's, there will be a great diversity of opinion, uh, on something like this, particularly as uh, you see an industry like the cannabis industry's growth, um, start to, um, people will start of that.
0: Do you have it in your life yet? What's that? Have you added cannabis to your life yet? I'm curious.
2: I, no, no, I have not. I, uh, I have not, Brian. I am, uh, I guess I'm old fashioned in that sense.
0: No, <laughs> no. Oh, that's a great point. I, I want to ask I you about your family too. But, uh, Is your family, anybody in your family? Yeah. Right. Well, I'm curious.
2: No, um, my, you know, Jack and my wife, uh, has actually never even smoked a cigarette. Um, and I uh, had never, never even tried, I uh, had never tried, uh, never tried uh, cannabis uh, ever. So it's, uh, it's definitely not like, you know, I'm sure you guys have the debate of it. And I know this is your show and this is your, this is your new passion. This is, this has been a passion of yours, um, but it's, it's just not something we've ever really uh, been involved with or talked about or discussed or really had hard or fast opinions on.
0: No, I appreciate it. So you did mention that you worked for an upstate um, senator, congressman. Who was it that you worked for for upstate New York?
2: Yeah, I was when I first started working up on Capitol Hill, I worked for a guy by the name of uh, a congressman by the name of John Sweeney, who represented um, the then I think it was the 22nd or 21st district of New York. Um, and it was it was spanned from Poughkeepsie region uh, through Columbia County, all the way out west to Delaware County, uh, up into, uh, Warren and close to Essex County, I think, uh, Washington County. Actually, I don't think it was Essex, but, um, it's pretty far north, close to, close to uh, Lake Placid. So it was a very huge, it was a huge district. We had Saratoga racetrack in our district. Um, so those were some fun summers when I used to go up there, uh, to work the local district and, um, visit reporters during the day and uh, in the morning and then hit the track in the afternoon. Uh, that was a lot of fun.
0: Tell me how you like the Adirondacks.
2: I love the Adirondacks. <laughs> I haven't um, been back up in a long time, but, um, you know, there's nothing like, like Placid in the winter, White having skiing, having skied white um, uh, Mirror Lake on a beautiful day is pretty incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of um, great people in towns like Glen Falls. Um, we worked a lot on the acid rain issue that affected the Adirondacks. Um, so that was a, a, you know, a, a big uh, issue that I worked on while I was um, working for that Congressman. Spent a lot of time traveling up there talking to different people about the impact that acid rain was having on, um, on the upstate region, the tourism industry, the agriculture industry. Um, so it was, um, it was great. I haven't been up in a long time. I'm trying to think time I was up there. We went like on a, we had a, uh, a big, um, trip that we used to go up onto, uh, in the Olympic village, um, that really showcased the area's economic uh, potential and, and, um, the tourism industry up there. And also just how it's a great training area for, um, American uh, Olympic athletes, um, but it's been a while since I've been back up there. Probably haven't been up there since probably 2002.
0: Way too long, Kev. Yeah. Are you skiing still?
2: A little bit. My I have three, I have three sons, and uh, they love to ski. These guys, you cannot get them out of bed to go to school in the morning. You can't get them out of bed to you know, do the, their chores or walk the dog. But you telling me you're going skiing, and they're downstairs sitting in the uh, – Sitting in the uh, on the front porch with their gear at uh, 5 a.m. You know they are all all of a sudden they turn into farmers when uh, <laughs> we're, we're headed out for a day of skiing. Um, there aren't many places like like you know I don't know if you know the Greater Washington area. It's not it's not really close to a lot of the big mountains that you guys have up there in the Adirondacks. So. Um, uh, we 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 go to places like Liberty uh, Mountain in Pennsylvania, which is uh, it's not as big, but it's a nice little resort. It's only about an hour and a half, two hours from Washington D.C. by car. Um, and then every once in a while, I get up to Killington, uh, or, you know, every once in a while up in Vermont, which is great, one of my favorite places.
0: So you make sure you check out my YouTube channel. Your boys will love it. What I'm doing is bringing trail maps to life. I, I
2: well, I, I yeah, I, I I see all your your. Uh, pictures from the Adirondacks and you're skiing and you are much more athletically uh, 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 fit than most guys our age, Brian. Uh, I don't think any of the boys from Long Island at Morrisville are running triathlons or anything or uh, skiing and and doing all the work, all the, all those outdoor workouts that you do. Um, Pretty impressive. I get tired just looking at them.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Really, you know, kind of the way you live your life, I live it where I live for experiences, right? Like, if you, uh, I'm not a man of much money, I pretty much will live within my means, but every penny I have, I don't buy stuff and I have experiences, right? That's that's what I'm about. So, I hope you check out the YouTube channel, though, Brian Lane Ski Videos. Yeah. Um, so, what I do is I make Trail Max come to life. I show the trails top to bottom and then I interview locals on the lift, compile that. For conversations, so you can learn local information before you get there from some some of the locals. Uh, but I would love to have you up at Whiteface, you and your crew. So do you
2: feel like your journalism, all of your all of your, you feel like all of your journalism background helps with that, with uh, the you know how to get how to how to get to the who, what, where, and where and why.
0: Dude, you just with, said my uh, favorite words. Yeah, you said my favorite words, man. That's what I tell everybody. I I am a I call myself Kevin, a root cause <laughs> specialist. That's how I describe myself to people, because if you put something in front of me, I will ask you the questions to get to the root cause, not the periphery cause of what the immediate is causing, whatever it is, problem you're having. So I just started a consulting business where the last three years of the post office, Kev, I just go into businesses helping them out improve using the post office. But I also realized I could help them so many more ways. Uh, so, yes, my journalism skills from Neil Banlow, so Neil Banlow, I'm going to say this guy's name, we are a first name basis, he was our journalism teacher at Morrisville, he taught us disclaimers, he taught us who, what, where, when, how, like that was the first day, newspaper writing 101, like root cause, so that is definitely my specialty, Kevin, and it came right, I'd, I'd say it's Neil Banlow specifically, like I I'd definitely give him the kudos. Now, do you there think there
2: are very few days in in my profession where that where I where I don't apply something that I learned in just those first few classes from Neil and Jerry? Um, you know, the funny thing is, like uh, I, I do, like anytime I'm doing editing where we're looking at products that we're putting together, people are writing. The one thing too is how um, who was the other professor there? She was a younger woman, but she always hated the word that. She took the word that out because that. She's like, that is the most overused word in the English in the English language. And I, to this day, go through all these different writings that people provide to me. And I say, I just cross out the word that all over. And they're like, yeah, you're right. I don't need that.
0: <laughs> Amen. And she's a brunette. She was younger. I, I was trying to think of her first name, too, uh, but I couldn't remember either. So you're not the only one, Kev. But she was great. She was kind of the PR person. She was the yeah, one who. She was great. Yeah, she did the radio and PR. Um, yeah. Jerry Leone, uh, I think he was a phenomenal man. He was the photography expert. So when we were talking about photography, I just want to make sure I say it again. Jerry Leone was the ultimate photographer that taught us photography at Morrisville and he was phenomenal. Um, So it was Jerry, Jerry and Neil. Oh, they're such treasures in my mind. I don't know about you, but I think about them a lot.
2: Can I tell, can I tell a funny Jerry Leone story? Please. Um, Remember when we had photography class and you had to go in and you had to, you had to work in the, in the film room and you had to do everything in the dark. You had to do everything in the dark room. And, um, one time I went in there and I like was, I ex- totally exposed my camera. So I, I screwed up and he told me that hadn't showed me what I did wrong and told me, well, he's like, you know, everybody else was going to go and do their, their photos and just, just hang out. So as everybody is there is as, as going through their photos and they're printing out their photos and they're bringing them out and they're hanging them up to dry and everything. And they're just like, oh, look at this one. It came out so great. Oh, look at this one. It came out so great. Jerry Leone turns around and he looks to me because I'm not I don't have any of them, not all because my whole my whole role of film got exposed and he just goes, he goes, Kevin Madden, he goes, Don't you feel like a bastard at a family picnic
0: <laughs> Oh, he was so honest like that.
2: <laughs> I just cracked up laughing at that at that I know, I just remember cracking up laugh, laughing at that joke. Uh and to this day, you know, anytime uh anytime I, I I hear I hear a phrase like that, I always think of Jerry.
0: Oh, I love it. Hey real quick, what uh, you said you went to Grammar School, wore shirt certain ties, all boys school. So so were you brought up in a really Catholic like strict household? How, how are you one uh, do you have you have one brother I heard, so what, you have other siblings?
2: Yeah, you probably remember my brother Joe, he went to Colgate just down the road, so he'd come up and visit us sometimes. Um Wait a minute, that and, was the one we went to Springfest, uh, yeah, right? Was, we went
0: to his house for Springfest, did we? That's
2: right, we went to Springfest. That was that was crazy. They wanted us off that campus. <laughs> um, I uh yeah, I, you know what my both my parents were Irish immigrants and they moved to the United States in nineteen sixty four. So and I grew up in a, a neighborhood that was, you know, full of a lot of Irish Catholic immigrants. Um yeah, I mean they were strict. They were they were they were tough on me. They wanted me to succeed. Um, but they were um It was nothing like, you know, nothing out of Angela's Ashes or anything like that. Um, We grew up in a neighborhood that was—it felt like everybody's parents were your parents. You know, it was um, everybody was looking out for each other. Everybody was rooting for each other. I mean, you'd have other parents at your baseball games. You know, you know, saying that you did a great job, or they, they they remember the hit that you had, or you know, if you were at a basketball game, the shot that you had. Um, so it was all, it was a very tight knit neighborhood. I, I've gone home a couple of times. I, I don't get back very much, very much. Cause I, I haven't been back really. I, I moved out of there when I, was, I moved out of Yonkers in fucking 1999. But, um, when I do go back, um, you, all the same folks are all still there and they, um, they were, they remember everything, you know, it was a pretty tight knit neighborhood. They all remember my parents. Um, and, um, and it's um, and they're all still around too, and they um, it's uh, it's kind of great. It to, was to, to, it was a such a, a close knit neighborhood.
0: So do you get together for your family for the holidays, Christmas, all that?
2: Well, it's just my family now. My, my uh, I have um, you know the three boys and, and, and Jacqueline, uh, and, and so we we're, we live down here in Washington, and and we pretty much do. Uh, Jacqueline's from a very big family; she's one of seven. Um, but we, so everybody's kind of scattered about so we kind of all do our own thing my mom comes down every once in a while um, she's not visiting my sister um, in St. Louis um, and she'll spend time with us here but I don't really go back there much there's not really, um, not really much there anymore
0: so we've talked about your work we've talked about your family last thing before I go because I know you have to go soon is what do you like to do what does Kevin Madden do to soothe that soul of yours. What is your escape? What is your, do you have a hobby or an escape away from all this nonsense?
2: (laughs) Uh, My hobby, I'd say probably my most prominent hobby is probably still golf. Um, You probably remember that. I worked at a country club growing up and I was around golf all day long in the summers and and oftentimes in the spring on weekends or even when i was home from college or school I spent a lot of time playing golf so i still do that i still play a lot of golf um but i i you know i just um i do a lot of like training just kind of like running um swimming biking, uh pull up push up sit up that type of thing um just to kind of keep, uh, keep busy, you know, if we're getting old, Brian, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm not, I don't look as old as you uh, I know you don't look as old as I do, but, um, it's a, it's a full-time job, right? Just trying to stay active. Um, so, you know, running, you know, running, running run in local races, five K's and things like that around here. Um, and, uh, the, the thing that the bo- that I like the most is probably the biking though, Cause the boys, uh, that's something I can do with them. Um, they love. I mean, they love being on bikes. So, and and in Washington, there's lots of great trails. And um, you know, they closed down Rock Creek Park, which is this amazing park right in the middle of Washington D.C. on on weekends and holidays, so you can ride on the on the roads there. And it's you know, you're going through probably one of the more beautiful parks, uh, urban parks uh, in the country, which is pretty great. Um, but that's pretty much it.
0: I love Washington. I I went down there for work a couple times, and I really enjoyed the like. There's the the island just out of the city there, where people just bike loops like go go go. Like I couldn't all day long. There was people more than 50 people at all times biking on that loop. And it was amazing to see how many active people there were in Washington uh, on bikes. Cause I'm a firm believer that biking, swimming, yoga, are the three exercises we should do the rest of our lives. Be careful with your running, try and keep it limited. Cause I know my marathons, half marathons, I don't want to kill my legs. And it sounds like you're about the same way. So your boys, are they certain athletes? You got, wait, you were a college lacrosse player, correct?
2: I did. I played uh, for two years at Morrisville, and then I played one year at Cortland uh, when I transferred there. And um, yeah, I still I still uh, I played them. You know, one of the best things I did when I moved to Washington I didn't know as many people. I joined a, a like a pickup lacrosse league, where it was a bunch of guys used to just get together on the on the mall there, like right near. The um right near the you know, the, the Washington Monument around there. Pe- people probably see it on T V all the time. They don't know that those are all those are all there are are sports fields like sort of in uh walking distance of the Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial. Right next like to Lincoln Memorial, yeah. That's right. Those. Yep. Yeah. So we so we used to play some pickup games down there and then there were other games that we used to play like over in Georgetown or up in Kensington, Maryland, which is just north of Washington. We used to play a pick up games there. And I, I met, um, I mean, you know, it was a good way to meet people. Um, and, uh, it was also just a good way to get exercise. Right. Um, then, um, so I, so I, my, my, my oldest son plays lacrosse and my youngest son plays lacrosse. And then the, the, the youngest guy, the middle guy, uh, are big baseball players. Um, um, they also all love they also really like golf and they all really like basketball I think the thing right now is you know at, at ages that they're at now 12 10 and eight the key thing is to not um, really get them in any one, just one sport right so don't let them try all types of different sports and and figure out what they really like before they get into just one um, but lacrosse around here gosh I mean if you if you're a third stringer and one of these high schools around here, you could probably still get a full ride. The level of lacrosse, I mean, I see these eight, nine-year-olds playing that look like they could play on a high school team that I, that I played on. Um, they're just so good. They play all year round. They play in the fall and spring. They have huge tournaments. They travel up and down the East Coast. And then even in the winter, they play indoors here, which was, you know, for us, that was, the like, winter was when you played basketball and spring was when you played lacrosse and fall was when you played football, right?
0: That was it for everybody generally. I love the fact that you have the philosophy with your sons that you don't want them to specialize in one sport young. I think it's phenomenal because I think there's too many kids that don't have enough experiences because they end up going through one thing and they get burned out. Next thing you know, they may look back on their life as something they didn't enjoy because it was just consuming. So I love the diversity. Yeah, I
2: don't want to force them into anything. Yeah, I I like that they're active. I like that they're... They're always asking about it. They they get into watching it. They get into learning different things. They always want to go out and throw the ball around, play. So the fact that they're active is good. So I don't want to you know push them into any one thing or try and professionalize them at a at a at, a, uh, at such a young age. Um, let them instead just enjoy it. It should be fun. Uh, it shouldn't feel like work or a chore. I know I didn't like that when I was a kid. My parents used to make me go to uh, swim practice and I hated it. Uh, which is crazy now because I use it to sort of stay in shape, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I hated competitive swimming, and uh, it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't feel like a chore or something that you're forced to do.
0: That's right. So you got to find, and this is what I think a lot of people in life, Kevin. And you're you down in Washington. Uh, you're in the heartbeat of high energy. So, I do notice there's not a lot of really obese, out of shape people down there, generally. I mean, you have a handful, but it was a really more fit city than I expected. I know a lot of people walk that, and I'm sure you see that as well. Um,
2: what what would is, you say for people advice? Yeah, that's it's, right.
0: That's what I want to ask. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's part of a routine down here. I think folks want to just kind of stay active. And uh, and also, I think it's also because it's a city that has to deal with a lot of stress. Um, stress that we oftentimes, uh, I think, professionally put on ourselves. <laughs> but there are a lot of high-stress jobs down here. So people feel like they do need an outlet. So the run on the mall and the big buy. Giant public open spaces that we have. It's such a bike-friendly city. Um, it, it's a it's a pretty walkable city too. I, I think some people may disagree with that because traffic is getting worse and worse around here. But I think that that's important. Um, I think the it, it, it's a very social town though too because there's an entire industry here of lobbyists and lawyers and and um, and uh, fundraisers that you know spend a lot of time eating and drinking. So I feel like many people here may feel that like there's a great deal of pressure to to sort of balance that out have a little bit of a healthier lifestyle beyond it because if you do that for too long just always work, working nonstop, eating and drinking um in a way that is stressful uh, um it, it'll catch up to you really quick here and uh, and so i think it's it's good that it's um, a bit more of an active city and the people make it more of a routine
0: Excellent. So I, I've taken a lot of your time. I just one thing: can you give some advice to young journalists? Because when when we were young journalists, it is way different than it is now. Uh, I left the field of journalism when I or print journalism when I saw it starting to go online content because I realized anybody could start writing, and then I, I I came through my postal postal service got hired and and I changed my career, but. F- it's so different now and you're still in the game. So what would you give advice to young journalists? Cause I want to make sure if I meet young people going into journalism, I-, I can pass on some of the stuff that you've experienced or maybe uh, advice you could give to young, young, young people right now who want to be.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's a good question. It's two, two things. I think the, 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 the first thing that's most important is that you be endlessly inquisitive and do the preparation work and, and, and really build a great, base of knowledge. I think one of the problems that you have with online content today and also a news cycle that is no longer 24 hours but instead 24 seconds is that everybody just wants the surface information and then they want to move it right to the right to the digital platform whereas they don't spend enough time like learning and understanding and asking hard questions and building sources and and learning what the smartest people in this, in, in this particular industry know, like really like find out the most important person in cybersecurity and ask them every question that you can think of or healthcare or, um, you know, cannabis, for example, on an issue that you work on, like learn about it, listen to them, like find out what, what, what's driving their passion because it'll make, it'll, it'll make you just a better reporter as a result because you'll have a greater base of knowledge. The second thing, and I think it's the most important, it goes back to, you know, what, Neil Banlow used to drill into us all the time, which is, um, don't live in the, in the safe refuge of the update because things move so quickly today. Everyone's like, well, well, I was wrong. So I can correct it. I'll just retweet it or I'll delete the tweet and post a new one. Well, you you can't do that. Um, you remember, remember what Neil Banlow used to say to us? Like anytime we got a fact wrong, he's like, you just, you just, you just got fired. You can't get it wrong. You just, you, you, you possibly defame somebody or you've you just cost an editor a correction. Um, you don't have a second chance. And that's one of the things that I think people need to, to really learn is not to live in the safe refuge of saying, oh, I can delete it or I can update it. Get it right the first time. Um, that's really important.
0: I couldn't agree more. Bob, you got anything for him?
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: going back a little ways, what you said you took some time off and you traveled the United States for two months. What was your path? Where did you yeah. go? What places did you see?
2: Uh, we started out west. We went right through Ohio. I actually stopped. Uh, Brian will love this story. Stopped in Athens, Ohio, where Jeff Bonna was still finishing up. He's, he's, he was doing a victory lap year. Do you remember that, Brian? He was doing a Absolutely. victory lap year at Ohio University.
0: <laughs> yep. <that's laughs> and right.
2: we spent about two days Spent about two days with him there. It was beautiful too. It was great weather. It was like right around, um, right around that, right around that time of year where um, everybody's kind of coming back to campus, uh, and um, so it was a lot of excitement. And it was good to see Jeff. Jeff is one of um, Brian and mine's uh, best friends. And so um, then I went from Ohio all the way out. We went up to um, Wisconsin. And then across Minnesota into the lower part of the um, like the sort of Dances with Wolves area of like of the Dakotas, Mm -hmm. and then Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, all the way out to Spokane, Washington, where my sister was living at the time. That was what kind of the path that we took out. And then I went straight down Pacific Coast Highway all the way through um, Oregon and Northern California, and to L.A. and then L.A. back through the desert into Colorado. And then we spent a long time in Colorado because Colorado was just amazing. And then, um, then we kind of hightailed it back to Indianapolis and then, uh, hightailed it to Philadelphia because there really wasn't much else to see out there, wow, but it was, yeah. um, it was a great trip. I'd say my, I'd say my favorite thing was the badlands of South Dakota right. and the black hills of South Dakota. That was for a kid from Yonkers who just like, you know, yeah. Now, I all I'd ever seen it was on like you know Dances with Wolves and in movies. It was really, really impressive to see in person. And, it, and we camped out there for a couple of days. And the and you learn when you're out there, the Sioux believe that the Black Hills is where your soul goes when you die. Um, and and so just and just knowing that they treated that as uh, with such reverence and sort of being able to see that in person was pretty great.
1: I did that about uh, the same same travel the same trip in 97 and it really helped shape me who i am today to experience the united states for all that period of time for two months on the road it was yeah it was a beautiful thing
2: what was your favorite spot
1: yellowstone by by far i i I go back there as often as i can i think i've been there about 12 times so far did you guys stop in yellowstone when you passed through there kev
2: I don't think we did. We went, we went near it. We went sort of Northeastern, uh, Wyoming. Um, but we didn't go, we didn't go through where we spent most of our time was Rocky mountain national park. That was camped out there. I mean, you, you'd spend the in the day, you'd be, you'd, it'd be like 60, 65 degrees, beautiful, sunny. And then at night it would drop down to like the twenties and you'd be shivering. You wake up and there'd be snow on the ground. It was pretty, it was pretty awesome. Uh, but we, I'd say we spent a good, solid time there. um, also spent a lot of time up in um, Seattle. We spent, the, we spent a little little extra time there doing the music scene and everything. And that was a cool time, right? That was 90, 94, I guess, 95. And I think it was summer of 94. So um, that was an interesting time to be in a place like Seattle. So
1: did you focus mainly on uh, the cities? I, I focus mainly on the national parks.
2: We did too. We, we camped out the entire way. Um, when we got to places like, um, uh, LA though, we stayed with friends and things like that. Same thing with Indianapolis. Um, we stayed with friends. Um, uh, but for the most part, you know, we were, we were just like driving until we saw like a, and this was back right before we had GPS. This is old school. Right, right. And you had, a, you had an Atlas on your thing. You're like, okay, there's a KO, there's a KOA, uh, about looks like four miles off of, you know, whatever interstate we're on. Let's stay there tonight. Um, you know, Missoula, Montana. We are just driving around looking for looking for a uh, looking for a, looking for a campground. You know,
0: it's so nice that you brought this up because we just had a, an episode uh, where we talked about traveling, and Bob and I, the same exact summer that you took that trip, Bob and I went to Yellowstone back. We were in Bad Hills, Black Black Hills, Badlands, the whole thing, and and we have the same connection to that area too. So I'm so glad you said that was your favorite because it piggybacks our yeah, episode. It's so amazing. All right, Cal, we're going to let you go. I, I, you've taken up enough time. I know I know you got other engagements. Um, I hope we can have you on again here in the next year as I keep growing this and as Washington changes. Uh, but sir, it has been really a pleasure and I'm so glad we caught up tonight.
2: Well, it was great to meet Bob and to, and to get to talk to you guys for an hour. But I just want to say, Brian, you were always the one of the best friends a guy could have. You are just such a Good loyal guy, uh, I, and, and you know it's been a long time, but uh, but I, I miss you. But I still think of all those times, all those good times that we had forging a friendship, uh, and still get to get, still get to talk to you after twenty five years.
0: And it's like uh, we just talked yesterday, isn't it?
2: I uh, know, it is. <laughs> it's crazy.
0: <laughs> I knew that's how it'd be with you. I mean, folks, you guys can tell our passions are the same: sports, uh, laughing. Being around good people—that's why Kevin and I connected. That's why our souls connected, and that's why after 25 years, we seriously did not talk before this phone call, folks. This was—you just heard us catching up. Uh, obviously, through social media, we catch up and watch each other, but this is first time we physically have talked, uh, and and it was really pleasure. Yeah. I, like I, I'm, a teary. I'm teary, I'm tearing right now because uh, the memories are flooding back from Morrisville uh, and you, and uh, I just appreciate you, and I wish you and your family all the best for the beginning of this new year, and I can't wait to connect with you soon, sir. Same
2: here, man. And this year, and it was great. Talk, great catching up with you, and uh, we'll have to do it. We'll have to do it again before another twenty-five years, right?
0: Oh no, we're going to do it, and I'm, I want to ski with you and your family. <laughs> so, so I want you guys to think about a trip Boom. to the Adirondacks, or if you're going to go to Liberty, just text me when you're going to ski anywhere, because with my channel, I need to go different places. I would definitely venture to meet you guys someplace. So,
2: that's a great idea. That's a good twenty nineteen resolution.
0: No, I, I agree, man. We're going to ha- make this happen. So, we, in the next twelve months, we will be skiing together at some point. I promise.
2: That sounds great.
0: All right, brother. Be well, and we will talk to you soon.
2: All right. You too. Thanks again.
0: Thank you. I am in cloud nine right now. I, I hope you guys all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Bob, Bob, what do you think?
1: Very informative. He knows what he's talking about, definitely. Top dog up there. I can I can see it already. He's
0: uh, he and it's nice to have someone in Washington that you know you can watch, and it's not nonsense. And now you can hear who he is. So, any of you who have never seen Kevin Madden on CNN, uh, or look him up, uh, he's a Facebook friend of mine. You can look him up on Wikipedia, there's plenty of places to look up Kevin Madden K E V I N M A D D E N from originally from Yonkers, uh, salt of the earth guy. And he's in Washington. It is nice to know. We have some salt of the earth guys in
1: Washington helping to shape policy and opinion. Now, if we can get him to uh, grab someone's ear and influence them in, in our little quest here. I think
0: he probably, this is probably going to shift him that way a little bit. I have a feeling. I'm, I'm hoping that might be the impetus of this call. That would be good. So just a heads up, everybody. First of all, I want to say Happy New Year. This is our first episode of 2019. I just returned from a big trip that I cannot um, avoid talking about uh, because it was such a spiritual experience for me. Bob, Pye, and I are both big Fish fans. I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it many other times. I have a podcast. My next podcast guest will be someone who does a podcast of Fish. We're going to have a big Fish show coming up soon. We're going to talk nothing but the band uh, and why people like them. But I want to talk about my experience a little bit. If anybody has the chance to go look at the New Year's Eve show, Fish Streaming, or go on YouTube to pull up Nets Are Unbreakable, but the band Fish did some really incredible things at midnight on New Year's that there's not many bands in this world that would have pulled off. But I'm just going to tell you there were a flying bass player and a flying electric guitarist. And 12 flying acrobats to music. That's all I'm going to tell you, but I, everybody needs to stream it. I'm just going to say it right now I spent Friday, Sunday, and Monday with Fish. And I also had a very big family tragedy that happened this weekend. Oh. And if I wasn't at Fish, I don't think I could have handled the tragedy as well as I'm handling it right now. That is definitely my escape of my church, and I had three days of church to get all my angst out and negative energy, and I danced and hugged a whole bunch of people this weekend in New York City. And I want to say, New York City, the women in New York City are very, very friendly, and in Rochester as a single man, I get weird reactions from, from women when I'm out. In New York City, I had women wait, wait, constantly saying cr- hello to me and and, and and engaging with me. I'd just sit there and smile at someone at a bar and automatically it would be a conversation. I had I had girls that would come over and I wasn't hitting on them. I'm just learning people I'm in New York City. So I want to pass this on to people. I had girls come over and I'd be like, all right, I've never been to the city. I'm looking to go, where do I go next to find some live music? They would actually pull their phones out and research for me, like on apps. And they have these special things in New York city to go find stuff. And like, everybody was just so friendly. The women specifically, the men were a little standoffish on the street. Um, but any of the service guys, bartenders, waiters, security guards, I meet everybody. You guys know a lot, of the way I network. And, I wanna say that everybody was really cool and I can't wait to go back down to the city. It was only my second time in New York City ever, first time for New Year's. I did not see the ball drop. I was not in Times Square or that nonsense. But I just wanna say, if you are gonna go down there for that, be prepared. I heard a lot of horror stories, just of people who weren't prepared, sitting in that Times Square and, and not having uh, facilities to go to the bathroom, or and you have to be. You are metal detectors a block two block radius all the way around Times Square. There are metal detectors for you to walk even in that area. It was very highly secure. It was something crazier than I've ever seen when
1: I walked around on, on New Year's Eve day. Just some information. Have you ever been there for New Year's? Probably? No, don't have a desire. I heard people can be there in, for twelve hours in that little block area.
0: More than that, I was so crazy. So that morning, I woke up late, um, but I woke up one o'clock or so noon, and I walked. I did a walkabout right away. There was already people piling. There was already a lot of people in those blocks already prior to noon. So that's twelve hours.
1: So it's closed off for the day for traffic
0: right yeah yeah just yeah traffic Times square is closed off yeah and, and it's all gates and, and metal barriers and yeah it's a little nuts uh i didn't spend a lot of time around times U- square so i can't give you a lot of information about it because i avoided that like the plague i didn't go through i didn't go into that area at all um it was just intriguing to me to see how many people were going in there that early Whew, i could not stand anywhere to watch one ball drop for, for 12 hours uh, i don't know I'm all sure. the power to them
1: but. yeah I, I don't know. Would I consider diapers? I mean... Oh, you have to. <laughs> no, no, I couldn't. Yeah. Um, so on December
0: 28th, we briefly talked about this. The New York State closed the CBD processing licensing. So two companies that I'm affiliated with, we we put in applications. We believe they're... Are a lot maybe upwards of a thousand applications we're thinking we've been told um, so CBD everybody be ready
1: that's is, New York wide
0: that's great the whole state of New York correct and basically anybody that used to have I forgot to mention this to Kevin earlier Morrisville State is one of the entities that has a hemp license and they grow industrial they grow industrial uh, flowers at Morrisville. It's an agriculture school. But oh, yeah. They yeah. currently, them and Cornell are both growing. Uh, they're the two um, colleges on the list. So I actually have the list of all the hemp processors in New York State. So everybody had to put in to renew their application because uh, all of theirs will end this year. So you're putting in for renewal to go to 2021,
1: as well as new businesses to come in because they're looking for more people to create CBD isolate. So does that become a welcome aboard to the college's gifts when the students come each semester, hi hi, welcome to Morrisville. Here's your gift bag. Well the best thing is in about
0: hopefully from what it looks like, uh, from some attorneys across the state, we think rec licensing is gonna be announced in about um uh, in less than two months. And then we think in about a year it will be illegal here. Uh that's that's what we're thinking. Um we don't know that for certain, but we're all happy. It's here.
1: Yeah. It says uh, Governor Cuomo plans to make it a marijuana legalization, a top priority of 2019. So that's his top priority. I love it.
0: How could we ask for anything more when we have an individual who just six months ago says marijuana is a gateway drug? And then six months later says, yes, we're going to
1: be the leading producers of it in the state. So from that statement, I'm, I'm assuming that his report must have come out. I didn't read it. I don't know anything about the report if it was publicized or anything, but if, he, if he's having a, a positive outlook on it, then he must have had a positive report. I would
0: imagine so. Yeah, we definitely, the report basically states uh, in a nutshell, the money that the state can make out of tax revenue, uh, as well as some of the uh, medical benefits of it. Really the only detriment to the plant, the cannabis plant is chronic bronchitis. If you smoke, So I met a lot of people in New York City and I I met someone recently who mentioned that uh, they take in most of their cannabis through cigar papers, blunts, like 90%. I'm just going to put this out there for everybody. I'm going to get on my soapbox for one second. Cigars, when they're smoked by gentlemen in rooms, are not inhaled. They're brought into the mouth, the nose, and not put into the lungs. That's it. Blunts, are not meant to, that paper's not meant to be in your lungs. So you are actually working against the benefits of the cannabis by taking in that blunt paper. Please stop. I know it tastes great. Every once in a while, great. But just don't make it your main catalyst, please. There are safer, better methods to do it. We got vaping out there. We got tinctures out there. We have other methods. So at least consider maybe slowing your roll on the blunts a little bit. Just a little bit. Bob, are you excited about these changes in New York State coming?
1: Oh, yeah. It's great opportunities. The money they that they will get. Let's let's push that because that's what the government wants to hear. They want to hear money. So if we can say, you'll get lots of taxes and they'll forget about all the else and we'll, it'll be in our benefit, right?
0: It'll be in our benefit financially. Maybe it'll ease our tax burden so we're not the highest tax state anymore. So maybe that could offset some of the taxes we pay for property taxes right now, maybe, hopefully. I doubt it.
1: <laughs> I'd like to see better roads.
0: <sighs> I would like to see more consistent roads. I agree. Speaking of which, how are roads
1: going to get paid for when we all have electric vehicles? Really, we're all going to have electric vehicles. What year is that going to be? Twenty forty. So the point
0: back, who cares what year happens? How are we going to pay be for around? it? Around. I think we're going to
1: have a lot more fleet of electric vehicles quicker than you think. Well, if that's the case, then we need a government that is willing to go for a more alternative energy. Uh, I don't see that as a positive push on a a lot of government's agendas. I don't have specifics, but I don't hear that a lot. You know, often in the news, I hear stories like we want to start a windmill Farm and people are saying we don't want that because it's an eyesore. Well, people, you, you got to stop thinking that it's an eyesore because it's beneficial, it's going to help the planet you live in. So are electric lines, so are all these poles that we have all over the streets. They're not pretty, I think they're ugly seeing wires all over the place. Let's get used to the idea of a windmill farm. And save some money and save the earth a little here. Well, I don't know.
0: I agree with what you're saying to a degree, to a point. I don't think windmill farms should be in any kind of migratory path. So there should be never one on Lake Ontario. And they're talking about putting one out there. And I believe that is a bad idea. Uh, so I'm about all about windmill farms, but really studying migration patterns of birds prior to it. Because windmills are bird killers. Serious. And then what happens is when they kill the birds, the blades get sticky and they slow down and they muck up, and it's very difficult to unbind them to get them going again. Basically, if you were to put your finger on one of those big blades you save these windmill farms, your finger would stick. Okay. I'm a supporter of a windmill farms, but I'm saying it has. But the wires will never go away because you have to change the delivery method. The Having wind farm will not stop the wires on these streets. I'm just saying. I'm just
1: giving that an example.
0: That no, I know. They're not pretty either. I agree. So I think that uh, we need to move our wire delivery system underground. So there's less chance of solar flares or anything else that could affect the wires, traffic accidents, everything. I think sure. all, all of it should be put underground. They've been putting fiber optics everywhere. I don't understand why they're not running electric lines congruently with it. It would also it. Will
1: prevent the wind from knocking it down. Maybe less people will have energy outs, outages. And-
0: we definitely have to improve our inf- infrastructure of the U.S. I totally agree with that, Bob. Yeah, it's archaic. So the new year, what, what are your plans for 2019 as far as travel, Bob?
1: Anything? Uh, I think I've narrowed it down. I think I want to revisit my Tri-Canyon vacation where I'm going to fly into Las Vegas, head up to Zion National Park, then to Bryce and the north rim of of, uh, the Grand Canyon. If I have time, I'll probably be there for two weeks. I don't know how much I'll push in there. Maybe get into a little bit more into Arizona or Utah. I'm not quite sure, but... Just one trip then this year? So one big one? One big one. That's what I usually do. Uh, I am going down to Nashville for a week. That's not my wheelhouse. I'm not a country fan, but I'm doing it out of compromise. So, you know. There's
0: good music down there. Like a ton.
1: Oh, I heard. like Is that just country.
0: Okay. Like you'll find good music down there.
1: All right. There. I'm sure it will be an educational and, and, and insightful place, but... Uh,
0: I'm. I'm, sure. I'm told when you go to Nashville, you pretty much can find music twenty four seven. You can find a venue with music.
1: Okay, all kinds. It's I, not just I, country. I, time. I'm hoping for good food too. Because it's definitely good. Th- food. When I like to travel, I want to experience different foods as well. Fun. Are you driving or flying down? We're flying down. Yeah. Cool. I have a cowboy hat, so I'm ready to go. It's not a Stetson or Stutson or whatever it is. It's. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: So, 2018 was a pretty crazy year. Was it? For me. Okay. Lost an uncle this year. I f- just found out, and I believe I'm telling you two this for the first time, that my daughter told me on Christmas Day, Oh, boy. I'm going to be a grandfather. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. I'm so excited. She's going to be extremely mad at me for mentioning this right now, but. I don't think many of her friends listen to this podcast, so right. I'm going to say it here. Right? And by the, uh, she's by almost the... three months pregnant now, uh, and we don't know. They are going to find out the sex of the baby. Uh, so, so this year for me uh, was good and bad. We have a death and a birth coming up, uh, which is great. I also, I was very fortunate. I my traveling this year. You want to hear everywhere I traveled this year? I was inventorying this on my drive back from New York City today. Where you traveled in 2018? 2018. 2018. Okay. Killington. Whiteface, Gore, Denver, Las Vegas, 29 Palms Military Base, Palm Springs. I drove across country from Rochester to 29 Palms and everything in between. I went to Philadelphia, New York City, Las Vegas. Did I say Las Vegas? You did I'm sorry, I know there's one I'm missing. Denver, Las Vegas, Philly, New York City, yeah. Oh, um, no, not Washington this year yeah, that's it that was my inventory. I think I did pretty good this year.
1: It's a good year when you can travel a lot. I, I' travel a lot.
0: Denver, Vegas, Philly, New York City. those four cities um, Vegas I've been to before, the other three I hadn't. Whew. I'm I'm developing a taste for city in small doses really I hate city living but to be honest yesterday I hiked from the top of Central Park all the way down to Spring Street. Southern uh,
1: lower East side still taking the element of being outdoors. You're not completely embracing the city. You're finding that niche of the outdoors. So you get it. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: So it is all about, uh, I basically hiked the city. Yeah. Right. I saw lots of people. I met a ton of people. I was fist bumping anybody that would respond to me on the streets. I had, I rode my bike, did two loops around central park, and I ran a bike and saw, oh, okay, Central Park. As many times have i seen it on movies and uh, TV shows and everything else, doing the full loop gave me a different perspective of the park. It was really cool. Uh, so I did one full loop, and then my second loop, I kind of did some of the side streets and kind of looped back and forth. I don't know how, long, how big it is there, but uh, I was on the bike for probably about two, three hours. Wow yeah really going around the whole park I saw I basically saw every corner of Central Park. yeah I, I haven't listen. been to
1: New York City since ninety one
0: that's about uh my last time in New York City prior to this was i believe ninety eight and oh, that man. was only for two days and we stayed on Long Island. We were only in the city for like twenty four
1: hours. yeah, I was in one of the trade Center buildings down at the lobby, just checking on oh, well this is one of those buildings mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was too.
0: I went there. Yeah. So you saw Radio Park? Uh, Bad- was that Battery Park down there and Statue of Liberty down yep. there? Yep. Went to Statue of Liberty. Yep.
1: Empire State Building? Did you do that? I uh, have done that. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Went to the top. Yep. I did that last trip. So this trip, I didn't really go high at all. The highest I was was maybe fifteen floors to see the city um, from my hotel room. But man, that's the the lights of Times Square. Talk about obnoxious. <laughs>
1: it's not supposed to be obnoxious. It's supposed to be, um, captivating, obnoxious. All right.
0: I can't, I was trying to come up with a better word because I could see times square from my hotel. I stayed at the Stewart hotel, just a quick heads up. Stewart hotel is not the cheapest hotel in New York, but the staff there, the bar downstairs, the people of that place, I I pretty much am friends with all the people behind the counter at this point after being there all weekend. Uh, all the security guards, the doorman, they all liked me. They let me keep my bowl and lighter in the bush outside the front door. Like I had it there. The bar, the doorman knew like my spot. My stuff was there. He would let me go out there, catch my quick couple, blah blah, blah put it right back in there. I go back up in my room. Uh, this staff was phenomenal. And I just want to say one other thing. I met a homeless guy while I was there this weekend. Quick story. His name is Austin. If he happens to be listening to this episode. I'm thinking about you, brother. Uh, young black gentleman uh, in, in hard times. So now he's in the city. He has access to email. So him and I have emailed a couple of times already since I met him uh, Saturday night. I gave him some money. He didn't ask me for a dollar. I gave him a 20 just because we had talked for a half hour. I said, I've been holding up your time. I said, you know, where you got to go? He's like, I'm headed to Penn Station to go sleep. I said, all right. I said, uh, you know, did you eat yet today? No. I just gave me, he goes, I don't want any money. I said, I know you didn't. You didn't ask me for anything. We've been talking for a half hour. You're homeless and you haven't asked me for a penny. Here's some money. So then he goes over to the vendor and I just want, I want to put this out there. There's a vendor right on the corner in front of the Stewart Hotel, which is right in front of Madison Square Garden. So it's on the corner of 31st and 7th Avenue, 31st Street and 7th Avenue. Uh, if you guys happen to be looking for street meat and there's vendors everywhere, go to that vendor because he saw what I did with this guy. He watched my conversation. Now he's serving people, this gentleman in this vet, and I didn't get his first name. I'm feel so bad. Um, he just watched my interaction with this guy, Austin watched Austin order food in front of me. We were hanging out together. So next night I went back and he says, Hey, I said, did you see my friend from last night? And he goes, no, I haven't seen him. I said, he said, he was going to come back to tonight. And I want to give him one of my podcast sweatshirts. He said, okay, if I see him, I'll tell him, you know, you're going to be back after the show. Him and I never saw him that night, but he was looking intently for me to the point. I came back. All I did was look him in the eye and he shook his head like, no, I didn't have to ask nothing. He just like, I haven't seen him. It was no words, nothing. So then I go up, take my shower, get ready, go out for a couple more hours, come back. And now it's four in the morning. He's still there. Okay. And... I say, okay, I need some food to go to bed. I haven't eaten all day. It's time for me to, I, I always, when, when, when I do concerts, I don't eat during the day. I don't, I don't want any risk of having a heavy stomach when I'm dancing my face off. So what I always do is, as soon as I'm done with the show, I eat a heavy um, meat and veggie to go to bed with. So I repair my muscles from all my dancing. That's, that's my routine. I drink a lot of water through the concert so I stay well hydrated. So I came out and I wanted my uh, little pita with all this food in it. He didn't charge me a penny. Oh, nice. I gave him money but he wasn't going to charge me. He go. He goes, I've been watching you for two days. I like you. Is he a fish person? No, just, dude, barely speaks English. Okay. Uh, came to this country a handful of years ago, something like that, but if you're going to get street meat, please get it from the vendor on the corner of 7th and 31st. He usually doesn't set up till late at night. If you're there on the weekends, right in front of Madison Square Garden, um, go say hello to him if, if you, if, um, He's a very very nice guy. But I just, I had to give a shout out to someone. These are the kind of relationships I love making people when I travel. I love to make connections. Uh, Another quick story. I I go park in a parking garage down near Lincoln Tunnel to walk to my hotel. And I have to go back the next day because I forgot a couple things in my car. So in this parking garage, all the cars are in the bottom level and they leave all the cars wide open. No, there's there's cameras everywhere, but there's no theft. I I talked to the guy um, about it, but this is how they do it. So I, so he goes, I have to walk down with you. So he walks down with me the first day and I'm taking a little extra time because I can't find everything in the car that I need. And the car's backed up to a wall. So I got to climb in the trunk and there's ski gear in there. And it's just crazy. So he's very patient with me. It took me like 15 minutes to find what I needed. So I walk out and now. He's kind of, you can tell annoyed with me, but not. Um, so I chatted with him for a couple minutes. I go back the next day. I have to get something else out. He just waves me down there now. Go ahead. I didn't have a true conversation with the gentleman the day before. It was just, I showed up, grabbed his stuff, felt bad, tapped him on the back, said, sorry, it took so long. I got to go. No conversation. So the next day I come back, he waves me down. He doesn't even walk down with me. Trust me already. That's good is it good or bad? I don't know. I guess sure, it's, a, yeah, it's a good, I think it's a good thing, right? Cause yeah. you see who you are. Um, now I could have gone down and pilfered any one of those cars. There's beamers down there. There, was, I mean, high end cars. I could have pilfered anything. He wouldn't have known squat in that moment. Maybe there's a camera. He could have watched me and came down, but I could have probably got something get out of there if I really wanted to be a jerk. He trusted me. I went down there. I came back up and because he trusted me, I had a bunch of my YouTube stickers that I had. I handed out a bunch in the city. So I had to cut them. I had like pairs of two. So you have scissors. So now I'm cutting them and I'm chatting with them. So this is the only conversation I'm having with him. And we talked for about 10, 15 minutes exchanging, you know, little life stories, that kind of stuff. So I go back today, this morning, to pick up my car to drive back. He has my car upstairs ready, like... Um, it, it wasn't warmed up, but you could tell it was like prepped. He knew I was coming between eight, nine o'clock. Uh, I'm sorry, about nine o'clock at two months. i going to be there. I didn't get down there till about 10 because I got, um, way late at the hotel for checking out, whatever. So I was there an hour later. And I said I was going to be there and there was a huge line for Lincoln tunnel. He had me set up. So my car, basically everybody else who goes there, they have to go down. He goes down, retrieves the car, brings it up for them, you know, and nobody else can go down there. So it takes time. He had up there set up ready for me. We hugged, we talked for a couple minutes, we hugged. He goes, you gotta go, the tunnel's got a big line. Sent me out the door. It was great this morning, really. a Good, Good human story, good human story. A couple, right, like yeah. two. Mm-hmm. So New York City, for any of the negativity, this is why I'm turning on the city a little bit positively, because I wouldn't have expected to have all these cool experiences with people in the city for some reason, I don't know why, I know it's my own fault.
1: But. When I went there, I had good interaction with people there too, but that's not why I dislike the city. I don't like a lot of people in general in my space. I I get a little anxious, a little freaked out, you know, my vibes can't handle it all. So I need the quiet, serene, empty places that I go to. And like you said that I've had good people, good conversations in New York City. Some woman helped me figure out how to use the the train station or the the uh, subway I had no idea what I was doing back then it was it was new to me I'm like subway I'm not going on that that's that's scary down there on that ground no no it's easy you know and she was very kind and considerate so you know it's there's real people in the cities it's
0: nice Yep. So everybody in New York City, for this weekend, if any of you are listening to this podcast because you saw me on the streets because I had my podcast sweatshirt on the entire time I was there, if you saw me on the streets and you took a picture and you're catching up and you didn't get to talk to me, please reach out. I'm going to bump it up one more time. Hemphletics.com is our website. Uh, We don't have all the episodes up, but they should be up within a day or so, the last three or four that we're missing, as well as affiliate links. Please check out The Affiliated Links, which are businesses or organizations that we're attached with through this podcast that are all positive for the society. We also have our pictures and our videos up there, including the promo video of the podcast. Uh, It looks like by February, we're hoping February 1st, we will have apparel on there. Uh, there's also a contact page. Please reach out. I would love to hear your story and reach out on my social media, Facebook, Brian Lane Relentless Forward Progress, or my Instagram at brian.lane.rfp. Send pictures of you with the gear if you have it. And if not, please send me a note that says you saw me walking the streets of one of these cities. Right. and send, you're If you have supporting. a picture of
1: him, send a picture of him. Yeah, a
0: picture of me would be great.
1: I yeah. would love that. In, in the environment that he explored. Yeah.
0: We're we're at that stage now, folks. Where I really want to start perpetuating this, and, and I want to have some more input from folks, uh, other than who I talk to. Every, uh, a lot of people are talking to are very positive about this podcast and enjoy the information. So I know it keeps. I want to keep this going, but I also want to make sure I don't get off on uh, tangents where people aren't interested. So please give your feedback and tell me what you would like to hear. Uh, we will have a fish episode coming up very shortly, as well as some other guests. Uh, on the line as well as possibly a big climber from the west coast so we do have some exciting stuff coming up i don't want to divulge too much but we're going to have some fun here in the next couple weeks in 2019 so for bob Pye, kevin madden the pundit from Washington, D.C., who, if you are going to listen to any political analyst, and I'm not saying this because he's a friend of mine, because I'll be very honest, if Kevin was one of the losers in Washington, I might have had him on the podcast today, but I would not be saying that he's a great guy that you should listen to. But you guys all heard. He is going to give you real information based on research, just like we will. So please follow Kevin any way you can, and you will get good information out of Washington. Have a good day, everybody. Happy 2019. Ciao.